0: Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get started with the show today, there's a new podcast I want to tell you about. 30 for 30 Podcast presents March 11th, 2020, a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans. It's as told by those who live the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including with Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. March 11th, 2020 will tell the story of the day that started one reality and ended a new one. Thirty for Thirty podcast presents March eleventh, twenty twenty. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Vinukinds Show, featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast for one of the hosts. Think stefan Diggs is the best wide receiver in the NFL. Probably because his last name is also his favorite hobby. That's Lenny. I'm partial to Devonte Adams myself, um, though I, I do agree. A case could be made for Diggs, certainly being in the top three. That laugh you just heard belongs to one Field Gates uh, frequent show contributor. Frequent? Does that sound right? Frequent? Cool. Frequent. frequent. That would be
1: accurate. Yeah, totally.
0: Uh, an NFL insider with us, co-host of the Fantasy Focus football podcast, and and Field, I'm really glad, actually, well, I'm always glad to have you on, but I'm especially glad to have you on going into week 17, because uh, the playoff scenarios right now are absolute chaos, and... I am doing my best to hold like multiple ideas in my head at the same time about the ramifications of these various games, but you are the most knowledgeable person at ESPN when it comes to most things, but especially when it comes to stuff like this. And it's a, it's like a changing every hour. Now the, the who's playing, who's not playing, what it means is changing. Um, We were gonna, we, we are going to talk about some of the more pivotal, pivotal games in week 17, but those games, like, who's playing in those games? Uh, it, well, it, it's really up in the air right now.
1: I was going to say, Mina, first of all, like, super kind intro as always. I feel like after, like, two or three appearances on your podcast, like, you can probably just, like, cut to the chase. Like, hey, Field's here, and uh, we're going to talk football for, like, an hour, and uh, yes. let's get to it. Um, but second of all, I think it's probably important. Like, I know, I'm not sure if this is, like, a podcast faux pas. Uh, but it's 5:35 on the East Coast on Tuesday. And The only reason I mentioned that is, like, it's possible by the time this podcast goes live, like, four other key players might not be playing in Week 17 for their respective teams. So, uh, try to keep that in mind if you're okay. listening. And we tell you about a starter who's in or out. That changes. Like, uh, that's our like that is my one time mentioning it. Please give us a pass.
0: Yes. And I'll, you know, I'll do like a little intro, something crazy happens. Like, I don't know, uh, Ben Roethlisberger retires before week 17 or something. I'll I'll do a solemn, solemn starter. But Ben Roethlisberger is a good place to start because what was looking like a thrilling, intense, all the marbles type divisional matchup in week 17 between Cleveland and Pittsburgh ended up I, I won't say like losing a bit of its luster because now it, it's spicy for various other reasons. But the latest report is that Pittsburgh, which is, um, you know, they're, they're, they had the option of playing their starters, has opted not to. We don't know which of those starters there are aside from Ben Roethlisberger, who at this point, field. Correct me if I'm wrong, is not going to play.
1: That's right. Uh, Mike Tomlin announced on Tuesday that Ben Roethlisberger, and then he was sort of coy one or maybe two other key players would not play for Pittsburgh in week 17. Let's get to the why quickly, Mina. So obviously the Steelers do have something to play for. They could theoretically earn the number two seed in the AFC. If they win and the Bills lose to the Dolphins on Sunday, they would be the number two seed in the AFC. This is a weird year, though. It's not just the first year that we have a single bye in each conference, which is Kansas City in the AFC and To Be Determined. In the NFC, but also without fans in basically every stadium, obviously the impact of home field advantage has changed dramatically. And so I wonder if Mike Tomlin's thinking is this. Hey, first of all, Buffalo's really, really good. They've only lost once over the past two months, and it was during the Hale Murray throw against the Arizona Cardinals. He might like their chances against the Dolphins, so the Bills winning would render whatever the Steelers' outcome is moot. And second of all, Mina, let's say that the Steelers. Do get the third seed, even if they lose with Ben Roethlisberger on the sidelines on Sunday. What does that mean? It means that in the first round of the playoffs, you're still hosting a very good team. It's not like there's a there's a there's a cake cupcake matchup in the AFC yeah. wild cards, and then B, if you do travel in the second round, to you would travel most likely to Buffalo. Like that's that's like an hour. I mean, I, I don't know specifically how long it is, but like it's not that far. No. And, yeah, it's like it's really simple to get from Pittsburgh to Buffalo. This is not like going from Pittsburgh to if the Chargers were in the number two seed right now. I feel like it's a different impact. That's my read on why Mike Tomlin yeah. and the Steelers are not as focused on you know a guaranteed win in Week 17. And,
0: and there are ramifications for Buffalo, too, because it locks. If they lose, Buffalo's locked into the two seed. But I think... Your your point about home field advantage is good and also so is your point about the competition because, you know, after Buffalo and Pittsburgh, the group of teams we're looking at, Indy, Miami, Baltimore, Cleveland, Tennessee, there's not a big gap between them. I think you could probably look at, you know, your individual team and say, okay, maybe I don't want to play the Baltimore defense or maybe I don't like Cleveland and Tennessee running on me, whatever. But it's not like the NFC where I think you'd want to angle for that Washington game. And like the fifth seed is much more attractive you know what i mean than the other seeds in the nfc to me in my opinion so i think like they are looking at the competition and i think you're absolutely right in saying pittsburgh probably decided and eh, not that big of a difference as long as we're not the one seed and, which is interesting by the way because the nfl like part of the expanded playoffs was only giving one team a buy and this feels like maybe an unintended consequence of that which is that they've devalued the two seed but i'll add this we were because we discussed it on NFL Live field. Like if, if I'm Pittsburgh and I'm doing the risk calculus on matchups and home field, the other thing that matters a hell of a lot more than anything is the fact that you've got a 38 year old quarterback whose arm occasionally looks good. Mina, <laughs> so Mina, yeah, I know this is. Get,
1: Know. let's
0: get into it though but like yeah. you know what I mean like your yeah. quarterbacks like get it, you, you. so we, we'll see about the other players but if I'm Pittsburgh I'm thinking like what is it going to take to get to the Super Bowl because we're all in on this season right. yeah don't play Ben yeah. you got nothing like the, the incremental advantage of of potentially getting that seed versus giving Ben that buy that you've been missing seems very obvious to me you or disadvantage
1: no I I I, I I mean, first of all, Ben Roethlisberger is always dealing with something, right? He is always banged yes. up. So it would behoove the Steelers, anytime they have the opportunity to get him some rest, to give him some rest. Let, let's start right there. Second of all, we, I was going to go down sort of the arm thing and the arm strength. Let's talk and, about you, it. And here's, I think, the crux of Part of what I think is happening Mina, is um, so, first of all, I, I, for those that don't know it, you have sort of built that you have you have noted how Ben has not been as uh, proficient and, and as accurate down the field as he has been at previous jumpers of his career. Is that a succinct and fair um, summary of what you have stated?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Steelers fans would agree with your characterization, but I believe it to be accurate. Well, well that's and my thing.
1: Of- I say, you are so. – I'm just, I'm just presenting the case. And, Mina, when you love a team like Steelers fans, love their beloved Steelers, like what's going to happen is they're – first of all, this is emotional. Fans, short for fanatic, right? Like that's – we understand that, right? They're going to always support their guy. And second of all, they're going to use – examples even if they're occasional as evidence against you right because I think there are two quarterbacks who are having this sort of arm strength conversation about a ton this year Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger and I remember that Kansas City game for Drew Brees a couple of weeks ago where all game it's just like it's like he's shot putting the the ball down the field it's not going very far and then he cranks one 51 yard throw to Emmanuel Sanders and I'm like ah, man like did I do this again? Did I did I did I get too far ahead of myself thinking Drew Brees' arm what wasn't quite what it was? No, I didn't. And the same thing with Ben is that it's a totally fair and by the way accurate assessment that Ben has not been as dynamic throwing the football down the field this year as he has been in previous years. Just a reminder, people. Other than Tom Brady, father time catches up to every player in the NFL. So yes, Ben at 38 is not quite as equipped as he was at 28, and that's just.
0: <laughs> well, I think what you saw in the Indianapolis game, uh, in which he looked phenomenal in the second half, probably the best half of football this year, is that if he can just hit like a few of those shots, right? Early on, for example, would be helpful, but um defenses can't play them the way they've been playing. Like you saw in that game, the Colts, I mean, you know, they were assisted by penalties and a few things not bouncing their way, but the safeties can't cheat all that. You saw them backing up. And then suddenly the underneath routes that uh, DBs have been sitting on open up. And obviously that's what the Steelers want to do to get yards after the catch. So if I'm looking at Pittsburgh and I'm thinking, okay, like what, what would it really take for them to make a run? Um, It doesn't take that like Ben doesn't have to sling it all over the place he just has to hit a couple deep balls a couple and, and you know just to bring it back to the decision to sit him i get it now you know like preserve it pray for it hope for it because on the other side of the ball um the defense got Vince Williams back i thought Avery Williamson looked good. like they're getting a little bit healthier and they're good enough. Clearly, there's no question about that. I think there's some vulnerabilities with the defense. They're not perfect, but like the defense is good enough, certainly to win a playoff game. I don't know about the Super Bowl. They just need I, the run game. I don't know. I don't, at this point, it's like it seems to be a lost cause. But they just need some some airing it out from Ben to make the offense sustainable.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we always, as we, as we get to now 14 teams, I think one of the themes that we're going to hone in on is basically, you know, what are strengths and what are limitations. And I think that a strength or a limitation of any team, like we have to decide like how predictable, how singularly di- dimensional is a, is a team potentially. And if the Steelers don't have the threat of a vertical passing game, then like it has a trickle down effect on every other part of their offense. And you could maybe, and I don't know this, I don't know that this is the only reason, but like maybe part of the reason why their running game has been stuck in the mud for the past six weeks is like how difficult is it to run the football against a loaded box as opposed to a box a little bit lighter, like it's always going to be when Patrick Mahomes is on the field or when Josh Allen is on the field this season. So the Steelers' offense, I I don't, I don't even know what the ceiling is. Like I think the ceiling is like pretty darn good. Right, I don't think it's mm-hmm. I don't think it's Kansas City. I don't think it's Buffalo. I don't think it's Green Bay. I don't think it's uh, maybe even Tennessee when they're they're clicking at full strength. The Steelers are going to go as far as this defense and their coaching wills them through the playoffs, in my opinion. And uh, maybe you know, I maybe that is a, a, a sooner than we would have expected when the team started eleven or no exit. Or maybe they great out a few games that, as of right now, based off what we've seen for the past month, I believe will be. Um, difficult matchups for them in at least the first round and definitely the second round of the playoffs.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I should, you know, we talk a lot about Ben's arm. It, it's also the lack of mobility that has created problems for him. I mean, whatever I've, I've beaten this into the ground, you know, at this point. And you talked about the run game and so much of it has to do with not just defenses stacking the block, but the lack of push they get up front. I mean, those backs are getting hit behind the line of scrimmage, you know, half of the time. So it, it's no fault of theirs. Um, so. Mason Rudolph is going to be the quarterback in this game. And Cleveland, like, if you lose, like, I love Browns fans. I desperately want them to go to the postseason. I, I, I feel so bad for all the misery. But if you lose to Mason Rudolph, you don't deserve it. I'm sorry. Like, you just don't. I mean, I, we saw this dude the, last year. Like, this isn't a question mark. Setting aside, like, obviously, this is all fraught because of the, everything that happened with Garrett and the, these two teams and all that. Just forget that. Just pure football. He is not good.
1: Yeah, I mean... Okay, so, yeah.
0: uh, not I, a good... The, the Cleveland defense is not good, too. I mean, they've got issues as well, especially the pass defense, and I think I just saw Sandejo's out. I don't think Ronnie Harrison is back. Safety's been a problem for them. Dental Ward had some issues in this last game. So... The past few events is bad in Cleveland, but man, they should not be tested by Mason Rudolph.
1: This should be a confidence building game, right? Like we've seen over the past <laughs> yeah, month. Right. Like, yes, the Bears have built some confidence on offense. I don't think the Bears are a great offense. I think they are, you know, maybe an offense that can be good, but they've really benefited from the schedule over their past four weeks. The Bucs, who I think can be a great offense, have really gotten to feel themselves a little bit because they've played the softest schedule in the league for the past four weeks. And they finish up with the Falcons, who Tom Brady is a part owner of. Um, but so the, the Browns' defense better feel itself a little bit on Sunday and win this game. Um, but the it, it is a fascinating sort of pivot to Mason Rudolph. You mentioned all this stuff with Miles Garrett last year. I've come a long way on one thing with the Browns because I would have told you, like, if you just dropped me in uh, after a – Eight-month visit to outer space, and I saw the Browns were you know had 10 wins and were playing for the playoffs in week 17, and I had no other context of it. I would say that is an incredible accomplishment for the Browns. I don't care what happens on Sunday. Great year. Now, (laughs) given the fact that a week ago, oh you know, that they they had to beat the then one in thirteen Jets to move that much closer to a playoff spot or a Mason Rudolph-led Steelers team, if the Browns don't get the job done in either of those two weeks, Mina, then a team that deserves to feel really good about itself is going to go into the offseason feeling like one of the great missed opportunities we've seen in the NFL Mm -hmm. in a long, long time. I mean, imagine losing back-to-back games to those two teams with the playoffs on the line.
0: Okay, so we're kind of writing off... So I mentioned, you know, the bad pass defense and the safety play and and whatnot. We're kind of writing off... The offense in the Jets game because they were missing all their wide receivers and two of their starting offensive linemen, uh, Jedrick Wilson and Wyatt Teller. I believe both of them are back for this game, right? Unless I'm wrong. Both that, uh,
1: that would be the expectation, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. So, you know, so what we're, we've all collectively said, yeah, let's just throw this out the window, you know, this is forget it against the Jets, who, by the way, have like a sneaky, decent defensive line to begin with um, for all of their Jetsiness. Do you have any concern? Well, So we don't know who's playing in the Pittsburgh front seven, which actually is kind of unfortunate because for me, like with this Browns offense, um, I wanted to see them tested against uh front seven. I mean, they play Baltimore, which is a different sort of pass rush from Pittsburgh. But like, as we run ba- Baker Mayfield and the, the Stefanski offense, which is of course very play action, play action centric as we run them through the gauntlet of like, is this a real offense? How good is Baker Steelers? I had earmarked as a test. Now it's not clear whether or not they're actually going to be tested, but let me ask you field, like, do you think they are legit? Like, are you buying? Cause the Baker Mayfield thing is he gets discounted in a way that like all quarterbacks in Shanahan systems do because their lives are made so much easier. Right. By, and also he gets to play behind one of the best offensive lines in football, but watching him over the last six weeks, I also see a quarterback who has made strides as a drop back passer, throwing under pressure, getting to his second read. It's not all training wheel stuff. Do you buy it? Like, do you think, he is good enough to take this team on a playoff run.
1: You know, it, I thought the hook that you mentioned about you know Kyle Shanahan led quarterbacks or led offenses. The quarterbacks playing often leaves them. There's sort of some gray area and evaluating them. Jimmy Garoppolo last year, Baker Mayfield this year. I might think there's like there's actually something different that I think about with Baker that I think is important to note. Um, and this is maybe fair, maybe it's unfair. Um, I think it's fair. Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick in the NFL draft a couple of years ago, a guy who has a charisma about him. He's got a confidence about him. He's got a swagger about him. He has been on thirty different commercials. Right? We humans are, are are often trained to like if 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 it goes well for Baker, he could have been. If he had, I don't know, you know, well is sort of a subjective thing. But if Baker had taken off, he would have been one of the most you know compelling players in the NFL and popular players in the NFL, a face of the league like he was during his rookie season when it was going pretty well. But if if you sink rather than swim, you're going to be the easiest target in so many – in in the court of public opinion, right? I think that's a huge part of this is that it's not talking the talk because it's not like Baker is talking during his commercials about being a great quarterback. But, you know, you're seemingly all over TV and then not delivering on Sundays by the standards people – often believe someone who's so seemingly omnipresent should be, then it's like, okay, this guy, this guy's a buck. We overreact. Uh, I think Baker's been solid. I think he's been solid. I think he is good enough to help the Browns win one playoff game this year. I don't believe that the Browns have the goods to overtake a Buffalo mm-hmm. or overtake a Kansas City in the second round of the playoffs.
0: Well, and that's relevant when we look at these playoff outcomes because if the Browns win and they're in – on Sunday and uh, the Colts beat the Jags as they should. The Ravens beat the Bengals as they should. The Titans beat the Texans The chiefs beat the chargers. So I'm picking on the favorites here. Then the Buffalo game matters a lot because if Buffalo wins, we get a Cleveland Pittsburgh rematch. Six V three. If Buffalo loses, Cleveland falls to the seven seed and they play Buffalo. If I'm Cleveland, I I'd rather play Pittsburgh than Buffalo. Wait. I, I no question. Yeah. So.
1: I think you said Cleveland. a Buffalo play Pittsburgh in three versus six. I believe, you know, obviously I think oh, you're right referring right. to Pittsburgh playing Cleveland, Cleveland in back to back weeks. Yes. Yeah, sorry.
0: That, that would be the rematch. And then, and then we would, we would see the, uh the unrested or the rested uh, Steelers against this Cleveland team, but yeah. I don't care. I, I'm still, I would, ra- if I'm Cleveland, just looking ahead, pass this game which might be a mistake. I would rather play rested Ben Roethlisberger than Josh Allen like any day. At least. i mean, 100%.
1: So, there, yeah. There's a case and this is no a little bit maybe maybe it's so much flimsy, but there's at least an argument right now that there's no team, Kansas City included, that you would rather face less than the than the Bills. I mean, they're playing the best player. Up, yeah. they're playing the best football in the NFL in the AFC for sure. Five straight wins by an average of 17 points per game. That team is very very good.
0: Absolute nightmare and a perfect segue. Cause let's talk about that game yeah. because, um, so the bills apparently are not resting their starters, <laughs> which, um, you know, I, I think like, again, you, you and I talked about the reasons why Pittsburgh is doing it. I think, uh, with the bills, like it, it's a very different situation. Cause you have Josh Allen, a quarterback who had this kind of chaotic playoff experience last year. You've got all this momentum. It kind of makes sense to me. Okay. Let's just keep writing it, you know? and, and I I don't know. There's always different schools of thought on that, but he's clearly no Ben Um This is obviously it's a meaningful game for Miami. Can you explain? Because they they can still make it to the. So if they win, they're in, right? But if they lose. They can still make it to the playoffs, but a few other things have to happen. Yeah,
1: I think it's almost not even worth introducing all the variables they need to have happen because it's a <laughs> lot. But basically, this is a must-win for Miami, and it's a must-win for Buffalo if they are convinced that Pittsburgh's going to be Cleveland and they value that number two seed. Uh, Sean McDermott, as of Tuesday afternoon, was coy about how the team will approach the game. Uh, competitive reasons is his uh, his, his decision, uh, why he is not revealing those. Um But but Mina, I think you're really the the most important part here. Is that this is not a playoff game for the Bills, but it has some impact of being a playoff game. Right, it's a high stakes game. It's a game against a very good opponent. Like Ben Roethlisberger's thirty eight, Josh Allen is twenty four. Right, like this is a very very different situation. Every game is of consequence for Josh in a way that it is not. For Ben Roethlisberger, uh, just because he hasn't—that's that, no fault of Josh's. I mean, the same thing applies to Patrick Mahomes. Like he's only twenty-five, right? Yeah, these guys are these are these are young, young career arcs for these players. Um, but it's an interesting game. If both these teams play with something on the line, as if there is something on the line, this is the best game in Week Seventeen. It's the best game in terms of like two teams that are sort of titanic going at each other, um, or Titan—I should say Titans, not no no Tennessee Titans—the the Bills and the Dolphins. Um, there are games that maybe have more consequence, obviously, but this game is really compelling. Um, so I have no read on whether Buffalo will play all of their guys uh, because they play in the early window uh, at the same time as Pittsburgh. Maybe this will be one of those scoreboard watching efforts, right? Where like if the, you know the Bills are even if they're if they're leading at halftime or whether it's a tight game, if they look up and you know Mason Rudolph has the Steelers in a seventeen to three hole. Sean McDermott may kind of call off the dogs, right? He may say, all right, Matt Barkley time. And we're just, you know, we're cruising towards uh, the number two seed and we'll see who falls into that seventh slot. So it's a really difficult thing to uh, to sort of size up based off of his comments. I think Miami is the more interesting side of this because we have a pretty clear view of what they are, what they need to do on Sunday. And you and I, I, I stepped in for Laura Rutledge, who was of course on Monday night football on Monday. And we talked about the dolphins and how they're handling their quarterback situation. And like, I actually thought your side of it, which I would say is contrarian relative to how most people <laughs> are viewing what Brian Flores is doing with his quarterbacks, was uh. like it kind of. But it, you know, what I mean, I, I'm I'm one of the things that I'm like a big advocate for that I think we've kind of lost our way with in some ways. Um, is like sometimes when you don't see eye to eye to somebody, eye to eye with someone, doesn't mean that like they're right and you're wrong or vice versa, right? Like, yeah, I admire what Brian Flores is doing, but I also really respect what you, the points you're making, like. It is. Sometimes I have to, you know, one of your most salient point, I thought, was like, if Brian Fitzpatrick is good enough to win the game for you in the fourth quarter, why is he not good enough to win the game for you in the first quarter, right? Um, Right. So I think that part sort of stuck with me and will continue to stick with me. Um, But Miami, they did not lay the blueprint, per se, with Patrick Mahomes, but the reason why they have a chance against Buffalo, assuming Buffalo plays their guys, Mina, is that Mm. defensively they are – I was trying to think about this earlier in the day, and you may have a team that, that, is, that, that maybe you, you would give the edge to. Baltimore probably has at least a case for it. Um, I, don't, I think Miami's, like, if you were to give an arbitrary rating or grade to their defensive starters, I would think they might have, like, the highest floor, right? Like, their holes on defense are A, few and far between, and they're really not holes, right? Like, basically everybody on defense from Miami is at least good. If not very good, or in Mm -hmm. the case of some, like all pros, like Xavier and Howard. And that's the reason why they gave Kansas City fits. And that's the reason why, even if Buffalo plays their guys, they can give Buffalo fits on Sunday.
0: So let's start with, yeah, let's focus on Miami because Miami is the interesting side of this. Um, Something I've been trying to get better at, be a little bit transparent here is identifying coverages when I watch football. It's something I've been working on a little project of mine. just trying to in real time say, okay, that's, you know, this is quarters and this is happening. This is man match, whatever. I don't know what the hell Miami is doing half the time. That is an adult secondary back there, um, passing dudes off rolling coverages, disguising their intentions, pre and post snap. They seem to me to like a nightmare to play. Uh, so if we're talking about like defenses, that are equipped to confu- potentially confuse Josh Allen because you're not going to just out execute or get you know use your athleticism against him. I think I, I would definitely put Miami up there. Um, the Tua decision is, y- y- as you alluded to, it's really complicated. Like, I, I presented what my view, which you said, is like, okay, so you got Ryan Fitzpatrick who. At this point, like, it, it's obvious the offense is more explosive with him. I mean, you know, on, on Saturday when they played, Tua averaged like four air yards per attempt. Fitzpatrick had 10. Some of that was a product of situation and, you know, what he needed to do. But we saw how they were moving the ball down the field with, by the way, limited weapons behind a, at times, struggling offensive line. So the counter argument to this, and Dan Orlovsky mentioned this on the show, and I do think there's some validity to it, is that they believe Tua is safer and more consistent and he's not gonna turn the ball over and the defense is so good, let's go with that guy. And I in some ways I get that, man, but you're playing Buffalo. Like, as as much as I like this Miami defense, that Bill's offense is going to score. So I just I just don't think the safer option makes a ton of sense because we're throwing the development side of this out the window, right? Like we're the, whether what, what's what's best for Tua is not a matter of discussion. This is all about what it takes to win. I don't quite understand the, the notion that based on what we've seen Tua, who I believe could totally still be a great quarterback puts him in the best position against this bills team. Um, I don't know. I, I don't see it based on what we've seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that. So the Dolphins have not won in spite of Tua, but which game do you point to where you say like, all right, Tua was the guiding light that carried them to victory on Sunday. It, it, I yeah. It's probably not. I mean, there there were a few games last year where Jimmy Garoppolo was really, really good for San Francisco. But I mean, you, you know, that team very well, Mina, you know, that entire division very well. Yes. You know, the whole league very well, but I digress. Um, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo like last year that was kind of the narrative right like rarely did the 49ers win and you were like Jimmy put the team on his back so there is like there's precedent of a team being able to be very successful with a quarterback who is not a game manager but also not the guy who's throwing for 350 and three touchdowns um you're right though it, it it's almost like if you're going to beat the bills it's it's borderline impossible to think that you're going to beat them by winning like a 21-17 game. Right? You need yeah. to win. Think about the, the Dolphins game against the Chiefs is a good example. Like they played this masterful game of defense against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And the Chiefs scored 33 points. Right? So it's like mm-hmm. you, you can't you can't have like a solid offensive day against the Bills. And Fitzpatrick probably is like he he is the ceiling raiser for that that Miami offense. They are going to be more proficient offensively, and they're going to be a, a just a higher. They're certainly higher risk, but also higher reward offense with him on the field. But I think, by the way, like it's probably a moot point. Like I don't think you know Brian Flores is going to Tua either way, right? Like I think we probably feel really good that like no matter what we think about it, he's committed to Tua, and there's been a method to his madness so far. Not madness, but there's been a method to his strategy so far, and um. I was saying yesterday, like, I sort of just, like, he's got this touch. He's got this, like, really good feel. Like, I'm I'm, I'm just yes. trusting the instincts of Brian Flores all the time.
0: I think that's fair, man. This kind of stuff would rip, like, most lockers. Like, there'd be so many leaks and crazy infighting. Like, the fact that they all seem to be on this, I mean, the post-game interviews, all of it. Like, Flores seems like a fabulous coach, you know. I'm purely... Wondering, like, what is it going to take to win this football game? Because, like, we should talk about this Bill's offense. Like, the Chiefs, sure. they're so good. Yeah. They're terrifying. Josh Allen, like, God knows, you know, I, I've i already done my whole Josh Allen Apologies Tour. He's playing out of his mind, okay? He started the season out of his mind. He took a dip. He is back out of his freaking mind. Their weapons are insane. Like, I, I was watching the Bill's Pats game on Monday, if you call it a game, trying to I was just like watching the Bills thinking like okay what are the problems with this team and the best thing I could come up with field and I do think this is pertinent to the playoffs is the run defense. New England is running with success on them. Um and a lot of teams have run with success in them and the AFC you've got Cleveland, Baltimore, potentially Tennessee, teams that can run the football, right? Yeah. Um but like what like the, the the previous flaw was that Josh Allen would black out but he doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. So I don't, like, it's so hard. They, like, they're so good. <laughs>
1: I, Mina, at this point, their biggest, like, I actually was doing radio earlier today with Joe Fordbaugh, and I said, like, the basically the biggest flaws or warts for the Bills are things that are out of their control. Like, not having seen yeah. it yet in the playoffs. You, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, how can we, we can't hold it against Josh Allen that he's doesn't have a ton of playoff wins. where he's been there once. And is it fair to say that you need to see it a little bit more? Not really, because you know, second the second time Patrick Mahomes made the playoffs, he guided the Chiefs to the to the Super Bowl. Right? These things happen fast. Um, I don't know that they are perfect, uh, but they're about as and I think I think this much to be to be true. I think they're the most balanced team in football. Like I think mm. um the Chiefs I think are the best team in football. I think the Bills are the most balanced team when you put together like offensive level, defensive level I think maybe one to 53, maybe the most balanced roster in the league.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Well, so this is a defense. So again, we've talked a lot about the offense. They're great. The defense has gotten significantly better as the season has gone on. Um, And they have very good secondary. uh, The defensive line gets a ton of pressure. You know, I, I, I've said at times, Oliver has been inconsistent, but on the whole, Hughes, Addison, all right. We took, uh, Marcel, Louis Jacques came on last week and we talked at length about the bills and I expressed, I said, you know, really, my only concern is kind of like the linebackers, Edmonds, Milano, Klein, whatever. And you saw that in the Patriots game at times they do struggle. Like that is the weakest, but if you're going to choose a weakness on a team like that was kind of the weakness for the chiefs last year, you know, and it didn't really end up mattering. So I, I, I think, I think that's a totally fair assessment of how balanced they are. Um, I think like a team like the Ravens who we're not going to really get into today, but I will, you know, ahead of the postseason because they're probably going to get in so long as they take care of business versus Cincinnati. I think that's an interesting matchup for them and could give them some problems, but the Bills are really good. Um, All right, let's put a pin in the AFC. Let's take a quick break, and then let's talk about some of the pivotal games in the NFC. As you guys know... NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, You don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at Harry's.com slash M-I-N-A. That's Harry's.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza.
1: Got your happy price. price line.
0: So, Field. The line right now <laughs> for Rams Cardinals is Rams by one. Yeah. Does that shock you, given the fact that the Rams will be starting John Wolford, mm-hmm. AAF legend, who has never thrown an NFL pass we don't know who Arizona is starting right now
1: yeah. that that's the part that makes me so Vegas knows stuff right they seem to always know stuff right
0: which is why I'm
1: sitting here thinking to myself like okay so Kyler's got a lower leg injury Chris Streveler is the backup quarterback from the CFL so you sort of like you can kind of nullify the lack of experience from John Wolford if it's Chris Streveler starting for the Arizona Cardinals mm. um yeah it's I, but I don't have a great read on it otherwise because it's not just Jared Goff. It's also Daryl Henderson who's out. Kim Akers could be out there. Other running backs that come around, they can really good this year. Yeah. Just before we started recording, Cooper Cup was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. As of now, when we're talking, there's been no reporting on to whether it, as to whether it was a high-risk close contact, which he could be available on Sunday, or if it's a positive test, in which case he would not be available for Sunday. Um, this game is though it's, it, I don't know, Mina, if it's, I, I, I always tell myself like less hyperbole, less hyperbole, but this is a really weird week 17 game, right? <laughs>
0: it's so weird. It's so weird. Okay. So let's talk about the ramifications, the, the, correct me if I'm wrong, the Rams win in they're in as a wild card, or they need the bears to beat the Packers. The Cardinals have to win. Correct. The Cardinals okay. must
1: win. The Rams so, have two options. Yeah. Yep.
0: So Kyler's going to push it. Um, and I'll talk about Wilford who I've talked about like <laughs> on various ESPN programming, but um sticking with the Cardinals for a moment. I don't know Jack about Chris Strebler. I mean, he, he won the CFL gray cup, yeah. right? He's the reigning champion. He is like a little bit older, like than what Wilford, like what do you know about this guy? If he has to, yeah, play?
1: I remember when he signed with the Cardinals uh, this past off season. And I remember tweeting about it and, uh, some of the responses I got were, like, I remember saying something to the effect of, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, a developmental quarterback option behind Kyler Murray. And some of the responses I got were, like, this could be their Taysom Hill. which, you know, Taysom, anytime you're bigger yeah. taste of hill, like, there's sort of a potential for, like, a radioactive uh, response. But... I the idea being that like he's a quarterback who is also a very good athlete, powerful guy, not huge, but six one, two hundred and fifteen or twenty pounds, a guy that is pretty physical, so he can run that much, is for sure. Not like Kyler can run, but he can definitely run, and it would be who be, be smart of the Cardinals to be investing in quarterbacks that you know are at least a reasonable facsimile of Kyler, right? Um,
0: you you know what's interesting though about that? I wanna, first of all, I just Google imaged him and he looks exactly like Cooper Cup, so that's going to be confusing, <laughs> but um. You know, and he and Wolford are about the same size, just a shade over six feet, and they can both run. And I think that's actually a really interesting field because um, you mentioned, like, okay, you know, yes, he can probably do some of the stuff that Kyler does. Of course, nobody can run like Kyler, but Wolford is, like, nothing like Jared yeah. Duff. Okay, so um, Wolford, just for those who don't know, because he has a really amazing story, and it's worth dwelling on for a second. This is a dude who was a quarterback for Wake Forest, famously... Beat Lamar Jackson head to head, um, and he was working in private equity. Left his job to play for the Jets, compete for a Jets gig in preseason. Didn't get the job. Went back to finance. Then went for the AAF. Tore it up for the Arizona Hotshots. Uh, I think he was like second in yards and yards per game. Yeah. Um, so then he comes to a little guy. His comp is Ed Sheeran. Comes to who Dominique Foxford told me he didn't know. <laughs> is, but I think he's lying. Yeah. So he comes to LA for the infamous Rams preseason of 2019. Blake Bortles is the backup. Brandon Allen is the backup to the backup. Brandon Allen's been with the Rams for a couple of years. They like him. Brandon Allen just played a freaking decent game, yeah, by the way, yeah. for uh, So Wolford comes in. He takes Brandon Allen's job. He ends up in the practice squad. Then going into this year, they let Blake Bortles go, who by the way, did not cost a lot of money. He was like a million dollar contract. And McVeigh's like, Wolford's my guy. Okay, so that tells you how he's regarded, not building. He is inc- he's speedy. Um, his arm is not as strong as Goff's, but he is closer to the Straveler Kyler Mold. And, and it's an interesting, I think, philosophical question for NFL teams, which is do you want the backup who's similar to your starter, or do you want the change up? Because The Cardinals don't know what the hell they're getting to this week.
1: Yeah, I think when your when your starter is the unique mold, then you want to try to replicate that. It's okay Mm. if your backup is more the unique, the 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 unique mold. You know what I mean? So I always thought it was interesting that Cam was at his apex. Interesting. A lot of years. If I'm not now, memory could totally be off here, and I'm sure they're If if so, I'm sure I will be corrected on Twitter. Um, like wasn't Derek Anderson Cam's backup for a while in Carolina? And you're sort of like, wait, like. If Cam Newton goes down, um, you have Derek Anderson and Joe Webb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe Webb, that's right. Joe Webb was there. That was actually like, that yeah. was a pretty good yeah. uh, way to emulate him. Um, but this, you know, this is why when Colin Kaepernick was being discussed as like a potential backup option somewhere as recently in this past off season, it was like, Oh, wouldn't it make sense for him to go to Seattle where, you know, you can be behind someone like Russell Wilson, who's also athletic. Right. Um, I think though that what we're seeing what we see more often is that um or what I think would be more logical is like if, if your quarterback is of the I don't know, whatever you want to call it, conventional, traditional pocket passer mold, that you can kind of do whatever you want with your backup guy. As long as the player can throw, you're probably in shape.
0: Interesting. Well, let me tell you this. This Rams offense, I I mean, I suspect it's gonna look nothing like the Rams offense we're used to. Like yeah, that dude is going to be on the move. I We're going to see, which is funny because we're coming off this Rams loss to the Seahawks where Jared Goff kept booting out and getting chased down. Right. And like refusing to take the grass in front of him. John Wolfer is going to take that grass in front of him. Like he's going to be keeping it on zone reads. Um, and, and this Arizona defense. So this is a must win for Arizona. They've been surprisingly decent. Like, how do you feel about them headed into this game? Yeah. The
1: defense has been much more competitive than I would have thought. Um, I remember during the offseason thinking that Steve Kine had a really good year of transactions. But the highlights were obviously like the huge swings and most notably DeAndre Hopkins. Um, but like, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a ton of credit for that. He does. But I'm also like, I could tell you that trading for DeAndre Hopkins for like a, you know, quarters <laughs> on the dollar is probably a good move. I like some of the stuff you get yeah. around the margins that I thought was pretty good. And it turned out that some of the moves that he made around the margins have been really good, right? Like, even someone like Drake Kirkpatrick has given them some reasonable snaps so far this season at cornerback. And some of the pieces they have along the defensive front have been pretty good. And it's been a little bit of a roller coaster for Isaiah Simmons, but as he did in college, like he finds the football, you know, and it's, it's, there's, there's a lot yeah. of stuff in between, but you got to kind of ride the wave with him. So, um, they've certainly got some premium playmakers and they've done this as we should know without Chandler Jones for much of the year. If you've got premium playmakers, um, certainly, uh, in the linebacker and sec- secondary group. And uh, I, you know, they're one of those teams that, um, you, you kind of know what they're going to do where right? they play a ton of man coverage. Um, but it's, like, the beauty of Seattle for all those years was well, not just the talent, but it was, like, we're going to run what we run, and you're just not going to be better. We are too talented for it to matter what you're doing. The Cardinals are certainly not there, but you do know what you're going to get, and they're still executing at a pretty high level.
0: Yeah, I think the key for Los Angeles in this one is just, like, I mean, this is such a dumb thing to say, but you just can't can't get to third and long. I, I uh, it's, I hate it when people say that because it's like, yeah, no, like no, you know, no, no offense, wants to be in third and long, but I think that's especially true of a, a quarterback like Wolford, not only given his skill set, but his inexperience, and also the fact that um, Vance Joseph, who has done a really nice job with his defense, likes to unleash holy hell on quarterbacks uh, with the blitz. And uh, again, you know, like the resuscitation of Hassan Reddick's career as an edge rusher, by the way, has been another interesting should, subplot with yeah. this Arizona defense. And so I, I think they, they are I, – I, it, it's funny, headed into the season field, I thought the Arizona offense was going to be awesome and, like, top seven maybe and that the defense was going to be bottom seven. And instead, the defense has been above average and the offense has let me down. And, like, we don't know what's going to happen, whether it's Strebler or Kyler. But in any case, like, even if it was Kyler – Granted, uh, injured Kyler is very different from healthy Kyler, given how important his legs are. But like this Arizona passing attack has been lackluster at best under Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I Mina.
1: Mean, you know, like I'm gonna just join, I'm I'm gonna join the party. I'm not the person that had this thought originally. But the offense is pretty stale. Like we've seen a couple of yeah. recent performances that have inspired a bit of confidence. Um, and not that um like route trees for players tell the whole story, but there was a time I remember seeing a graphic floating around on Twitter where it was like basically DeAndre Hopkins ran like the same three to four routes for like, I don't know, Dude. 250 straight plays. And you're like, oh my, hold Dude. on, like this is DeAndre Hopkins, right? Like I get it that he has part of what's made him great over the years is that, you know, he doesn't need to, you can sort of just give him the football and he'll find, you know, he'll make real estate, but it feels like coaching negligence to limit him in that way. So uh, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, I think is, is, is a solid coach. I don't know that he has inspired like complete confidence for me in terms of innovation and also in game management. And yeah, this passing offense on paper, you're sitting there and you're like, we know DeAndre Hopkins is really good, but there've been some other warning signs on this offense. You're like, you know, Kenny Drake last year was awesome in the passing game. Until recently, he was a non-factor in the passing game for them this year. They have all these young wide receivers that you would think would have a chance to blossom opposite of DeAndre Hopkins. And no, like still their most invaluable player, not maybe DeAndre Hopkins or Kyler Murray on offense, feels like Larry Fitzgerald for all the little things that he does. So um, it's an offense that like, I'll probably fall in love with again going into next season. But I need to probably remind myself, like, I had a lot of those same feelings coming into this year, and they have not reared themselves so far.
0: I think stale is a totally fair word to describe what you're saying. I mean, you're not seeing the sort of eye candy you see with other modern NFL offenses. Um, As you mentioned, DeAndre Hopkins is largely used the same way. Even like in Houston, you know, there was like a little bit more creativity um, in getting him involved in the slot or whatnot. And and then the drop-off from him to the rest of the skill players, it's meaningful. I mean, Kristen Kirk is just... He's not I don't think he's a number two. I don't. I know Andy Isabella's been banged up, but and then, you know, like I, I can't even put all the blame on Cliff because Kyler Murray also he misses throws, uh, especially at that intermediate level. And that for me was like the one thing I really wanted to see out of him this season. Like, he's so talented and he's got such a beautiful throwing motion and the deep ball's so great, that little twitch thing he does. But I wanted to see, can he consistently hit throws in the 10 to 15 yard range? And just hasn't really been the case. Not like guys are wide open either, but I don't know. I just think the offense has let me down. So certainly they could beat Los Angeles because, you know, of all the, and, and now cups on the COVID list too. I just saw that, but like, I'll put it this way. I root for Seattle. I would vastly prefer them playing Arizona to the Rams are certainly yeah. There.
1: assuming that uh, assuming Jared Goff would be back for that game. Right. I mean, I know you are the leader of the Walter. Yeah, back, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> you know,
0: yes, that's a very important point. Uh, yes. one
1: last. I'll, I'll, I'll close with a thought in the Arizona offense before we get to the last game is, you know, the, the advantage of whatever you want to call Cliff Kingsbury system, the air raid, et cetera, is like sort of one of the principal advantages is that you are rushing to line of scrimmage between every play, which has a couple of built-in advantages. One, um, you're largely keeping the same personnel on the field and a defense does not have the opportunity to sub personnel. Uh, well, they can. They just would risk, you know, a fast snap like Kyler Murray uh, or the offense just calling a play and have them being compromised with 10 defenders on the field or, you know, 12 defenders on the field because of a miscommunication. Um, but it, it, it also feels like just, I don't, I almost sometimes wonder, like if they're, they're so, like they're rushing to get to the line of scrimmage to take advantage of, of that potential. I wonder if like, you know, because you're you're not huddling at all, like is the lack of communication, mm-hmm. I, I, there's certainly communication pre-snap, but like, let's be clear, like it's it's harder to communicate either non-verbally or, you know, shouting from one sideline to the other sideline, you know, if DeAndre Hopkins is on the opposite side of the field like Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, does it limit what you're able to do? And I, I, I haven't sort of like hmm. dove into that, Uh, as much as maybe I I should based off that assertion. But um, something that kind of has caught my attention is like, uh, is going fast good to a certain point, but is there sort of a sweet spot where maybe it does kind of limit you a little bit?
0: Interesting. I mean, listen, it wouldn't be the the ghost of Chip Kelly looms over (laughs) this conversation. And, And while I think Cliff keeps his job, I do think, that leash gets pretty short next year if the offense doesn't take another step forward. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to figure out like if I'm excited about the Washington game, the Washington Philadelphia game. So this is a meaningful game. Like Washington wins and they're in. If they lose, it's going to be the winner of Dallas and New York. But we're going to focus on Washington. Uh, of course, recently released Dwayne Haskins. Uh, as of taping, he has not been claimed, but perhaps the team will sign him. You know, or take a shot on him. In either case, we're looking at either Alex Smith or Taylor Heineke. 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 What is the status of things as of Tuesday afternoon?
1: Yeah, I mean, my sense is that there's a pretty good chance that Alex Smith is available on Sunday for the Washington Football Team. Um, I, there is no doubt. That Dwayne Haskins, it was time uh, in the eyes of Washington, right? Um, it was. There's no doubt about that. But I Mina, mean, uh, I think probably time in terms of behavior came a week before that. After you know the, the Sunday night when he spotted in a strip club with no mask, right? Um, which like that's a very 2020 sentence, right there in and of itself. But the reality was like Ron Rivera had a game the following week that like I don't know that he believed, like he knew, and I'm not like. I think I would be the exact same way, right? Um, if, like, could they even, like, run an offense with Taylor Heineke and potentially Steven Montez, like, without – obviously understanding at that, that time that Alex Smith was unlikely to play. So um, it's time. Uh, it was time for Dwayne Haskins. That's an aside. He's he's on to – or he will eventually be on to other team. Um But, yeah, I think the um, – I think Alex Smith will play on something. That's my, that's my gut instinct as of this recording is that Alex gives it a go. Um, and it would be quite a story, (laughs) just suiting up, right? The idea that a guy who's had 17 surgeries, nearly lost his life, nearly lost his leg, could be helping to determine uh, a division title. That right there is a pretty cool
0: story. So uh, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick will play. It's looking like, correct me if I'm wrong, Terry McLaurin is still going he to be did. out. Likely. Yeah. He sounds very, okay. he's okay.
1: been in a walking boot recently Is he, he's uh, you know, dealing with an ankle issue. So he sounds unlikely. Not, yep, not
0: good. Okay. So listen, the Eagles are out, but they're, they still, the first Doug Peterson's coaching for his job. So I, you know, th- this is a team that wants to win. They've got a young quarterback who wants to prove himself. Um, and, you know, the, a, a defense that was just embarrassed, um, granted missing a ton of pieces Let's talk first about the Washington offense versus this Philadelphia defense. Um, how good does the Washington offense have to be? Because we know that, like, well, we don't know. You can tell me if you disagree, but in the NFC East of any team, the best unit to me is the Washington defense. So that said, how much do they have to get on offense to win this game?
1: Uh, not a ton uh because a they're very good defensively I mean they have as you said they have they have the best units if you were to you know make take to a poll of the eight yeah. in the NFC East and certainly in this game um and then beyond that um you know this Eagles offense obviously uh has been more fun recently with Jalen Hurts um in place of Carson Wentz but like this past week was not a reality check not a wake-up call but it was a good reminder Mina that like You know he's a rookie. You know Bill Parcells Parcells used to be like the king of basically like you know let's not coordinate anybody. You know like let's not put the green you know the gold jacket on a guy just yet. You know let's let's take our time here, right? And and, you know sometimes a guy takes off and it never turns back, like Patrick Holmes. And then there are other times where a guy you know this goes well for five weeks, six weeks, and then all of a sudden it comes back down to life or back to earth a little bit, right? I mean even Travis Fulgham was like the hottest receiver in football for the Eagles earlier this year. Now he barely plays. Um, Anyways. I think the Washington defense can reasonably expect to hold Philadelphia to between 20 and 24 points and still win the game on Sunday. They just have to, have to, have to set their offense up in a favorable spot through turnovers on like one or two occasions. Because the offense otherwise, especially if no Alex Smith, it's just they earn every, every yard has to be earned in a way that like is sometimes tough to watch. I mean, it's, it's, their margin for error on offense is the, it's, it's, it's non-existent. They have zero.
0: Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it, look, they look like cannon fodder headed like any team that was going to win the NFC East looks like that going to the playoffs. Although, you know, the defense is feisty enough to cause some problems depending on who they're facing. It, it would be Tampa, right? Most likely. Yep. So, I don't think many people would be picking Washington in that matchup, but I, as much as like we talk about Chase Young, I I just really enjoy watching this whole group. Um, like I, I was just. This last game was the offense was just so ugly with Haskin. Like forget, you know, it's funny with the Dwayne Haskins stuff. Like forget all the off the field stuff and when he should have been. Like the dude just really yeah, stunk at the end did. of the year. Um, doesn't mean he's never going to be another quarterback again. I'm just literally that week watching him play football. He actually even against Seattle, he had a couple of decent drives. I would say, man, it was really really ugly yeah. uh, this last week, but. Um, that said, you know, like, the defense, like, for Chase Young was an absolute monster in this game, and, and he gets a lot of attention, but, like, I, I keep saying this about Washington, there are a lot of guys who either I forgot were on the team, or, or aren't household names, not even, like, your DeRon Payne's, but, like, your Cole Holcomb's, that, like, linebackers, you know, I've talked about Cameron Curl, I thought Fuller and Darby both played well, like, they're going to give Jalen Hurts a tough time. Now, that said, I think if it's certainly given the strength of the Washington group, like Jalen Hurts is the right quarterback to play this game. Let me ask you this. Do you think this game has the ramifications for Jalen Hurts position next year in Philadelphia?
1: I don't know. And I'm not going to I'm not copying out of the question, Mina. But what I am admitting <laughs> is that I don't know who the coaches of the Eagles next year um and i'm not reporting anything yeah that. but i'm not i'm not this is not i'm not putting on an Adam jefter hat for a second it's just it's reasonable right i mean it's clear that there's there's, there's, there's a disconnect between carson wentz and doug peterson that's obvious right um i don't think anybody has to like you're not it doesn't require um great mind reading to figure that out um if a new coach comes in That coach probably could spend just as much time watching the 2019 tape, specifically in December, as that coach could watching this year's tape and obviously come away feeling very favorably about Carson Wentz. But he was playing unbelievably well a year ago. A year ago. That's not that far. Um, It is also incredibly painful for the Eagles to shed themselves of Carson Wentz even if there is a decent trade package, it's still a huge number. It's a huge amount of money. They will be paying Carson Wentz to not play for them. Um, so, I right now, Mina, think that at worst, Jalen Hurts goes into next year competing for the job. Right? I, if the Eagles are going to sort of be public in their stance behind one quarterback or the other going into twenty twenty one, as like our plan is to start this guy. I have a hard time imagining, they say, going into the year based off how things have transpired. Like, Carson is our guy. I think it's possible they would say, hey, our goal this offseason is to build an offense that's suited to Jalen Hurts' best strengths and, you know, get the personnel around him that highlights and helps magnify those strengths more going forward. So um, I don't know that Jalen Hurts is playing for a job going into 2021 or playing for the starting job, but, like, if they, they, you know, rip out – Washington's heart by beating them and taking away the NFC East from them and giving it to either Dallas or the Giants with a really impressive Hertz performance. There's going to be way too much momentum going to 2021 for me to imagine Carson Went sticking yes. around next year.
0: Yeah, so I think I think you're right. Like I think it's like if he loses, it's still a question mark. If he wins, it's like yep, it's, it's, it. like it's over. It I think that's two, it, that's and two I guess.
1: But still yeah, that, three great performances in four games. No,
0: I think. I think that's a great way to put it. And like, you know, like I I just kind of interrupted. I was like, he's a rookie, but like, he looks like a rookie. Like he looks, you know, um, he is obviously the mobility is impressive. It helps the entire run game. He's been decisive. But then some of the stuff I said early on hasn't continued. Like I said, wow, in his first couple of games, I was like, wow, the lack of negative plays is amazing. Since then we've gotten fumbles. We've gotten some bad sacks. You know, there's some issues like the offense is very simplified under Doug Peterson, as it should be. Um, but, you know, we don't know about his ability to go through his progressions to this point. Like, there's just a lot of question marks uh, in the NFL, of course. So I think that, like I said, if he wins, it's, it's over. If Doug Peterson keeps his job, Wentz is gone. If Doug Peterson is gone... I think Wednesdays, and, and this is all, of course, wrapped up in, as you said, whether or not a trade is even available to them, and it would be financially painful. So, man, it, is it a it's a complicated situation for Philadelphia, but I think it's fair to say that as meaningless as this game is for them because they're out of the playoffs— it does have some meaning for the future of this franchise and of course it has a lot of meaning for the Washington football. Team. Yeah,
1: it's it's compelling for reasons that extend because let's be honest, I mean in some ways the the future of Carson Wentz and maybe Washington fans can like skip the next 30 seconds here is more important than whether the Washington football team wins the division, right? They're probably going to face mm. the, the Bucks in the first round and probably lose. That's probably where this thing is. headed.
0: Mm. Well, Field, as always, we are headed towards our last five questions.
1: And now it's time for dinks and dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right?
0: All right. Question number one. The most likely Super Bowl at this point, I don't actually have the odds in front of me, but I'm quite obviously Chiefs Green Bay, <laughs> yep. given the you know advantage of being the number one seed what do you think would be the most fun future Bowl matchup?
1: Uh, The Chiefs and Green Bay because, because it would be (laughs) the two leading candidates for the MVP. And I try not to always keep things like as simple as possible. I think part of what our job is in the media is to not regurgitate the thoughts and opinions of what everybody watching and everybody else that has our job um, shares. But sometimes it's like, you know, the Super Bowl is often driven by storylines surrounding quarterbacks and Aaron Rodgers, 37-year-old, old old hat showing that he's still got it and so much more. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes has a chance to immediately enter into the conversation for the trajectory of greatest of all time, kind of already has, but you get two Super Bowls and it starts to validate it further and further and further. How about you? What's, what's, I mean, I, I know
0: it's, my job, but- yeah, no, no, that's a good one. That's okay. a good one because offense is fun. Yeah. These are very good play callers. Um, and the defenses are good enough to make it interesting too, right? Like it's not like totally. total crap. Um, yeah, I think that's fun. I, I, I would probably agree with that, but I'm going to say new blood because, you know, I like some difference. I mean, like a Bills Super Bowl would be really totally. fun for because the fans and, like, I just find that offense like incredibly fun to watch right now. Um, So that would be up there for me. I don't know. I, but I gotta say, I've really liked watching the Ravens lately because they're just, they, they finally, like they figured out the run game. I'll talk about this before the playoffs. And I like that. They're zigging, you know, they're back to zigging while the rest of the league zags. So I'll go just to be a contrarian and, and be a little bit different. I'll go Bills-Packers. Bills-Packers. That would be a lot of
1: fun. I, I, Yeah. Yeah. I like it.
0: There's some really fun offenses. Okay, question number two. This is like a whole long conversation, but I'm going to ask you to oversimplify it with a short answer. What should the Bears do with Mitch Trubisky next year?
1: Um, Draw a line (laughs) in the sand, Mina. Draw a line in the sand. And and they have to set a number. And, Mina, I'm not comfortable – if that number – and here's the deal, is that we know that in quarterback – the quarterback market, there's basically – there's sort of like two options. A quarterback on a rookie deal or a quarterback making close to – like north of $25 million per year. There's not really that middle class. If I'm the Bears, mm-hmm. I'm treading super lightly. I, I, like he's not worth more than $12 million a year to me. But I know that deal doesn't exist for quarterbacks in the NFL. But it becomes onerous. Like, this is not – I get it. He's played well over the past four games with bad com- against bad competition. But let's say – I mean, if you give him like a two-year, $40 million deal, good gosh, like what if it starts to revert back to what it has been right away? Yeah. $40 million. Bucks. I, to me, I'm treading super lightly. I'm drawing a line in the sand. That's so, my most important thing is I'm drawing a line in the sand. My turn. <laughs> take it away. Uh,
0: I like that idea of you playing hardball in the, in, the, in the negotiating room. But I, I think I'm. It's funny because, like, in a lot of worlds, I'd say just hell no, walk away, rebuild. But the important context here is we're talking about a team with very little yep. cap space, right? So the Bears are so capped out; they don't have any options. So, look, if you can, if you can sign Trubisky for like what you described and, and sign him to like a one year deal, and he can prove it, go for it. I don't care because you just don't have other options. Now you you got to you got to draft someone, take a shot on goal and work on cleaning up that cap, but multi-year deal, get out of here. Just don't I don't want to yeah. hear it. Okay. Um so I think you, you alluded to the MVP competition, but award that I think is tricky Is one I want to run by you. Uh, So question two, who should be coaching? I had a
1: great conversation earlier today with Joe Fortenbaugh and I I want to share an idea that Dan Graziano and I have talked about. So credit to Dan here. Is it like we almost need to have a subdivided coach of the year award? One is like the coach whose team is really awesome and has done a great job. The second award Mm -hmm. is the coach who has led a team to greater heights than we would have expected, right?
0: Well that's who always wins.
1: So like Brian (laughs) Flores kind of strikes me as that this year. Um, I think you've got two outstanding candidates in the AFC East. Like if you want to give it to Sean McDermott, I'm totally fine with that. If you want to give it to Brian Flores, I'm totally fine with that. Um, my pick was Brian Flores on the show uh, earlier today during that conversation just because – and the other part of this, Mina, is that the Coach of the Year Award is should be specific to that year. But I, in my own mind, cannot um, – it's hard for me to, to look past – 2019, like the team was laughably bad to start the beginning of the 2019 yeah. season. They have come so far in such a short period of time. And Brian Flores has, it's not been, it's not always been smooth sailing. There's been adversity, but he has sort of stuck to his principles. And that's the reason why I give him the the edge. But this is the deepest pool of candidates I can ever remember for the Coach of the Year Award.
0: Well, and like again, it, it, like if we're really talking like best coach, best team, like Matt Lafleur should be in the conversation, right? Totally. But like Andy Reid too, as along with like, Andy Reid every year, right? But but it's it's just it is kind of like a most improved award, and it really feels to me like these last few games matter because I gotta say, and I'm not saying this is right, I think the Browns losing to the Jets really hurt Kevin Stefanski, it, who was getting totally. some buzz, um, and I think if the if the Dolphins. Win, I think that locks it up for Flores. I would agree. Because
1: then you can look at the um, records yeah. and say, hey, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, Bills have a much more explosive offense, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, two quarterbacks in Miami. I think Flores takes it if they win on Sunday.
0: Man. Okay. But, uh, last question from me, then one from Lee. um, So you and I sometimes text about fantasy <laughs> things that are happening in sure. my life and being you being the fantasy expert. And, um, one thing I've complained to you a lot about is Ty Hilton's lack of production. <laughs> as much as I love him, I love you too, Island, and i i have no—I you're great. Um, what was your worst fantasy move this year?
1: So I play in this league with um, my five best friends from college, and uh, one of them one of my best friends, his brother, I went to Wesley, and I think uh, I know—I know, I know you know that, Mina, but probably not most listeners know that it's a college here in Connecticut, actually. Um, one of our rivals is Williams, which is a col- uh, school in Northwest Massachusetts. Uh, so it's six Wesleyan guys, six Williams guys, and it's a keeper league. Um, it's got it's got sort of unique salaries as well. So, anyways, I kind of I went all in on this league um, with Christian McCaffrey. I traded away Zeke, who has one more year on his deal after this, and is extension eligible for the final year of Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey played one game for me and got hurt. It's, it's yeah, I w- it's a bad uh, track record.
0: I was yeah. all in. I, you and me, we're like the Saints. Yeah. I was all yeah. in this Pretty year nice. too. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, my, I got an aging roster. Um, okay. As always, this is relevant. Last question comes from Lenny, um, my dog. <laughs> so Lenny and the co-host of the show. Uh, so he has the internet now.
1: Huge move,
0: He's, you know, really shaking things up. Yeah, and um, he wants to know why when you Google Field Yates, the first prompt that comes up is age. Huh?
1: Well, Lenny, um, you, you know, Lenny, you know, the dogs we count your years. It's very unfair. Like, I think Lenny, do we know specifically how old he is in human years, or is that one of those things you've always never known?
0: Uh, I think it's time. Right, seven, so it's time right? seven. So, so yeah, that's what
1: I meant. Like so, in human years, he's like whatever six.
0: He's, old, he's 64, Yeah, whatever yeah. it is.
1: Um, you know, we we can't knock our heads together, Yale and Wesleyan education to figure it out. So I was that's really unfair <laughs> for dogs because you know I've got a dog who by human years not even one year old but he's already seven. I mean that that feels unjust. Um, yeah, I mean, mm. Lenny, I've got this youthful appearance about me. Um, and I I I shave. Rather infrequently, um, and yeah, rather really? infrequently. Believe it or not, um, yeah, I cut my, I, I, I get my hair cut pretty frequently, and people always tell me that like when my hair is really short, it makes me even look even younger. So, um, yeah, I, I actually think it probably is to my benefit in the industry that we're in to to have sort of a youthful uh, exuberance. But um, Lenny, I'm I'm just impressed that you're you're on the Google and, and and checking me out. I'm I'm actually quite honored. You might be the first person to ever Google me.
0: Lenny has a follow up. He wants to know if you. Can yeah, it
1: it's, it's not great, but um, you know, the, the <laughs> pro, it takes me a few weeks, and the issue is that we're on TV more often than like every few weeks, so uh, you got to kind of keep it a little bit cleaner. Mm. Maybe this off season, maybe I'll maybe I'll, I'll give it a shot and see what happens.